0: thank you for what you're doing tonight. We just pray I'd do good. <laughs> and they would be listening and that you would uh, open our, our eyes, our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears and that tonight would be a monumental night in the area of us growing in you, in the kingdom and in wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> um, I want to talk about uh, kingdom wealth and Last week, how many of you were here last week on Sunday night? How many of you were not? I forgive you. Yeah, you're watching the Super Bowl. I know how that was. Yeah, that's wrong. Good thing Jesus didn't come back. You'd be... No, we didn't win. I'm sorry. No, we didn't. We didn't even play. Well, good thing Jesus didn't come back last week for some of you, because then you'd be reading those books left behind. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, that's a good word, <laughs> exactly. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, why don't you turn there, we're going to do um, a little bit of a repeat for the first probably four or five minutes. I, was, I told this story last week, and I'll just give you the abbreviated version, that um, some years ago when we were very, very, very broke um, with the $1.8 million debt, when we first came to Bethel Church three months after we came here. Um, we ended up with $3 million debt, and um, just in the middle of really, really struggling, you know, there's broke, and then there's broke, right? <laughs> Broke's like when you don't have any money. Broke is when you owe $1.8 million and you have no money. So um, we were that kind of broke, and a man um, gave me a $30,000 check. Can someone make that timer go? so like, don't talk forever, because I preach the eternal gospel. <laughs> and so a guy, uh, a gentleman, gave us, gave Kathy and I thirty thousand dollars, and oh, I had this crazy thing happen to me. We didn't know who he was. We uh, actually never met him before. He had a dream. Uh, he had just received an inheritance. He had, and he had a dream that he was, and in the dream he was, he was instructed by the Lord to give Kathy and I thirty thousand dollars. And uh, I thought it was thirty thousand each, but evidently it wasn't teasing. And so uh, he gave us the money. It was, it was uh, really, uh, really gracious and uh, v- very timely. And, um, and we you know, got him a nice card. We could afford a card after that. <laughs> and then the craziest thing happened. For the next six months, I avoided him. I didn't even know I was doing it. Like he would come in the sanctuary here and I'd see him and I'd walk all the way around and come in there. And, and I just, you know, I was unconsciously ignorant. You know, you, I didn't know that I didn't know. I mean, the lowest level of life is you're unconsciously ignorant. You don't know that you don't know. Everybody else knows what you don't know, but you don't know what you don't know. And so I ended up in the bathroom with, the, with this gentleman, and I walked in there, and he had his back to me. And it was one of those times where you don't know if you're going to make it. <laughs> you know, you're like, you need the restroom. <laughs> and uh, funny, I just came back from England, and every restroom's up or downstairs. So you have to plan ahead. Anyway, okay, you didn't get that. but So I go in the restroom, and I see him, and his back's towards me. And so I, I leave the restroom, and I run all the way around this building. And then I have this revelation. I think there's something wrong with me. You know, somebody once said, Adversity introduces a man to himself. And I just got introduced to me. I went to bed that night, and I couldn't sleep. About 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, just as the sun was rising, I decided I should probably maybe uh, pray about it. And I said to the Lord, Lord, do you know what's wrong with me? He said, "Uh uh-huh. I said, well, you tell me. He said, do you really want to know? I don't know. Denial is a beautiful thing, actually. (laughs) And finally, about maybe 10 minutes later, I said, yes. He said, well, here's the the challenge. And I'll just call him John. He said, Johnny gave you $30,000. I'm like, I know that. He said, Well, the problem is you don't love yourself $30,000 worth. You're afraid that if Johnny gets to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money. How many know intimacy means into me you see? And the Lord said, You're concerned, you're afraid that if Johnny gets to know you, he'll see into you and he'll see what you think you see in you. And I began this journey. Of um, first of all, I was awakened to, I became self-aware. How many know there's a fine line between being self-absorbed and being self-aware? I just became self-aware, and I suddenly went to the next level of life. You know, the lowest level I just told you—you you don't know that you don't know. The next level of life is you know you don't know. And Now I was beginning to understand some things, and I shared the whole story last week, so you should probably get the um, the cassette tape. <laughs> Get the recording of it last week, but uh, I when I began this it began this journey in my life, and you know I learned that the word as a s that's a huge word because Jesus said love your neighbor as you love yourself, and the challenge I had was I didn't love me and I didn't realize it, and I spent the morning that morning with scenes flashing in front of my mind of all the times I had sabotaged God's blessing in my life. In fact, you know, um, I, I have always been a very generous person. When I met Bill, he took it to another level. But I've always been able to give. My struggle has always been receiving. I've never been able to receive. And I, um, for years, when someone would give me something, I would give it away. And and it it looked really beautiful on the outside. How many know the wheat and the tares that grow up together? Are you with me? The wheat and tares grow up together. Sometimes things that look really valuable in you, they're actually tares. And, you know, the, the Jews call tares bastard wheat because it looks just like wheat until it gets fruit on it. The wheat bends over. The wheat humbles itself when it bears fruit, where the terror stands straight up. And so I found that what looked like something really positive in my life, my generosity was actually partly rooted in my low self-esteem and in my inability to love myself. And so I would sabotage, any, and I would sabotage anybody's generosity towards me, not because I wanted to, but just because I didn't actually understand I was doing that. And I began to realize that There is a whole lot of people in the world that build a theology to protect their low self-esteem. If you um, just do a little experiment, if you guys are on social networking, just say, I believe God wants to make me wealthy, and you'll get a whole lot of instruction. (laughs) One of the most quoted verses on Facebook is 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, and it says this, For the love of money... Is the root of all sorts of evil. Of course, they don't actually quote it like that. They say the love of money is the root of all evil. Actually, two things I want to say. First of all, it's the love of money, not money. And secondly, it never. The Bible never says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It says it's the root of a evil. Let me just read it to you. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Is a root, not the root. Help me understand. There are lots of different roots to evil. Money's only one of them. And it goes on to say this. Um, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. For some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced himself with many griefs. few verses later, Paul says he's writing instructions to Timothy concerning this very subject. And he said, Instruct those who are rich in this present world to not be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Why does he supply them? To what? It's okay. You can, like, this is an interactive time with a thousand people. Next verse. Instruct them, speaking of the rich, instruct them to sell everything they have, give it to the poor, and they might get to heaven. Oh. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And um, I, that's probably all I'm going to do from last week as far as uh, rehashing last week. But my point is this, is that um, I, I believe that God wants to prosper you. It's amazing how many people will say, I don't believe in prosperity, and then pray that God helps them. <laughs> I have the same people who don't believe God prospers them coming up to me on Sunday mornings and asking me if I would pray for God to bless them. How many know some of your theology is actually opposed to the thing you're praying for? So, does anybody in here not want to be blessed? Okay, I just want to make sure. (laughs) Some of you are like, just a little blessed. I just want to be a little blessed. I don't want to be a lot blessed. Okay, well, if you get too much, just give it that's KV Ministries. And so, um, I want to talk about kingdom uh, wealth uh, tonight. I want to talk a little bit about prosperity. I want to talk a little bit about the practical parts of prosperity and how to actually prosper. And, um, you know, there was this great story in this book, uh, uh, The Essentialist. Have you read, anybody read The Essentialist? It's just a great book. I think I have the, I think it's, maybe it's called The Essentialist, not the. Anyway, he tells this story about this guy this gentleman who got put over a company that was failing, and they said, we're going to make you the CEO, and we're going to give you six months to turn this company around, and if you can't turn the company around, then we're just going to bankrupt it. So they make him CEO, and the very week they make him CEO, he had already planned, he was a Boy Scout leader, and he already planned to take his troop on this on this trail, on this, on this uh, um, journey. And so they... He gets this whole troop together, and they start um, hiking down this trail, which is, you know, like 20 miles long, and he's got all these boys with him. And um, they're hiking and hiking, and as soon as they start hiking, they get about, you know, like two blocks, and Herbie is so slow that Herbie's already half a block behind. So they keep, you know, they keep walking, keep walking, and about every mile and a half or two miles, they have to stop and wait for Herbie to catch up. Because he wants, obviously, everyone to stay together. So they do the, he does this for a few miles, and then finally thinks, man, this is ridiculous. You know, here's what we'll do. We'll put Herbie at the front. So they put Herbie at the front, and he arranges the scouts in uh, in order of their slowness. Herbie first, and the next slowest person, the next slowest person. And, uh, and then they all started hiking again. Well, they all stayed together at the speed of Herbie. And so he said, well this is great because I don't have to worry about us staying together because we, he instructed everybody to stay behind Herbie and Herbie was the slowest guy by far on the troop, in the troop. So everybody stayed at the speed of Herbie. The problem is, you know, as he began to walk the next couple of miles, he realized like, they're not gonna get to camp till midnight at this speed. So we started thinking, okay, if we help Herbie, everyone else would go faster. So they began to take Herbie's pack off of him and you know, take the other things off of him and then began to help him along because helping Herbie helped everybody else. Say so you could help the fastest guy the other the fastest guy on the troop, but how many of you know making him faster wasn't gonna get them any faster get there get them any get them there any faster because they were going at the speed of Herbie, who was the slowest person on the team. He got back to work that week, remember this is his first week of being the CEO of this company, and he realized that they had spent a lot of money on the faster guys in the company metaphorically speaking, and didn't ask themselves, what's our greatest restraint? Because how many understand, if you fix Herbie, everyone else goes faster. Are you with me? I want to begin tonight by asking you who your Herbie is. Because a lot of you are doing lots of things to help become prosperous And you probably, in some of your, you're hiking at the speed of Herbie. And we typically spend a lot of time on things we love instead of Herbie. We typically don't like Herbie. Not Herbie, but it's a metaphor now, okay? The pastoral people are like, we love Herbie. What I'm getting at is this, is like, what is your greatest constraint constraint, in the area of wealth? It might be your theology. You're like, you know, you're, you're hearing me talk about wealth and right now you're like, you know, you're getting sweaty and you're already thinking of, you know, scriptures that, to argue with me, and I'm like, you don't have to argue with me, believe whatever you want to believe, you can be poor. I mean, it matters to me, but there's not much I can do about it if you want to sabotage your own wealth through your theology. I would say that a lot of people's Herbie is in Luke six thirty-eight, And it says this, Give, and it shall be given to you. They shall pour it into your lap, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running all over. For by your standard of measure, it will be mer- measured to you in return. Did you see the context? He says, how does, how does wealth begin? What is the basic root of wealth? What? Give, and it shall be given to you. And then by the measure that you by the standard of your measure it'll be measured to you. In other words, if you give with a teaspoon, God will take your teaspoon and give it back to you. How many, you know, 30, 60, and 100 full. You're like, you give God a teaspoon, he goes, "I'll okay, give me the teaspoon. All right, I'll I'll measure it back to you with your measure." You know, ladies you use the measuring cup? So you give teaspoon, God uses the same measuring device to give back to you use a cup, God gives, gives a cup, he measures back to you with the cup. You give the bucket, he uses the bucket to return back to you. 30, 60, and 100 fold. How many know if you use a teaspoon, you get back 30 fold, it's still not very much. <laughs> okay, well that was a good word. I mean, when it comes to giving, people, some people stop at nothing. Now, people ask quite often, do you believe that tithing is a New Testament truth? I say, before I answer the question, are you trying to give more or less? Because I've only one time in 38 years had someone ask me if tithing was a New Testament truth that wanted to give more. Everybody else was trying to figure out some way to give less. If you don't believe in tithing, the only other truth around money in the Bible is God owns it all. So I'm like, I'm going for tithing. (laughs) Are you following me? See, some people are like, "I I I want you to see how powerful this, like, give and it shall be given to you. Can you imagine how powerless it would feel if you were broke and it started with, I'll give and then you give me back. How many of you know, if God said, when I give, give back, then I would have to wait for him to give i 'm saying the, the the power would be with God because i couldn 't get back until He gave because it would start with i 'll give and you give back, but how many know this is very empowering because it begins with give, which means all I have to do is give, and then I start to set the cycle of reciprocity i 'm saying I am powerful because God said it starts with you if he said it, it starts with me, I would have to be. Okay, God, hurry, give me something to give. But he said, it starts with you. Give, and it shall be given to you. I know, I'm right about that. The question that needs to be answered is when a man gets rich, did God lose a man or gain a fortune? But I'll tell you, the answer to that question begins with give. Because if you give when you're poor, you'll give when you're rich. A lot of people think, man, if I had a lot, I would give it. No, you wouldn't. You would follow the same principle you have when you have little. Jesus said, if you will be faithful in little, then you'll be faithful in much. But if he who has not been faithful with little will not be faithful in much. Those are the words of Jesus. So when I'm getting at it, it's like, you're like, things are really tight, we can't afford to, whatever, tithe. We'll just say tithe, because that always stirs people up, and I kind of like that. <laughs> we can't afford to tithe. Well, would you rather have 90 cent bl- 90% blessed, or 100% you? <laughs> okay, anyway. <sighs> one day I was watching T.D. Jakes. I love T.D. Jakes. He can take one point and preach it for 45 minutes, and you're mesmerized. And he had this big bag of dimes. You can just picture T.D., right? In his $2,000 suit with a bag of dimes. He's got this bag of dimes, and he's got this congregation. It's just massive. And he's walking up and down the aisle, and he's saying, for 10 cents, God will be your partner. And he's throwing dimes into the congregation. For 10 cents, you can make God your partner. How would you like to take on a partner that's incredibly, he's a trillionaire. And if he runs out of money, he just speaks and makes some more. (laughs) Like, how would you like the guy, how would you like the the silent partner to be the guy who's a quadrillionaire and has control over who buys and who sells? For 10 cents, you could do that. (laughs) It's just such a good word. I mean, wealth begins with give. Thank you, Chris, for that insight. I feel so much better. Turn to matthew chapter twenty five last week i I started this um, I end it with this right here, and I really think it 's really powerful. I actually um, yesterday i mean last week, in the morning when I was preparing for my message, because I preached at Twinview first, I was um, just reading these um, two parables. The parable of the talents and the parable of the Midas. How many of you know that story pretty well? And how many of you always thought that was pretty much the same story? I always, okay, I'm the only one in a thousand people. I thought it was pretty much the same story, and so did Kathy. <laughs> so I, I'm doing what I do often. I pull up that story, you know, the two stories, because I was like, okay, which one am I going to use? And I was reading through them because you know I was going to use them in my message. So I pull up the two stories, and I read the one, and, and just simultaneously, which I don't think I've ever done before, read the other, just had them on my screen right next to one another. And, I thought, and then I, it suddenly hit me, I actually think it was a spirit, a revelation. It hit me that these are actually not the same story at all. And the first thing I did is I looked up the word talent, how much, is, what, how much money is a talent, and a talent was about $30,000 dollars. And a is $500. There's a little difference in numeric value. And so I began to read this story, and I, I want you to follow along with me in chapter 25 of Matthew, because I think this is probably, for me, one of the most amazing keys to wealth right here, besides the one I just gave you, give. And by the way, if you haven't given, if, if you don't give, if you're not generous, if you're not generous, it doesn't matter what else you learn tonight, because Herbie is going to hold you back you'll not walk faster than your give. Let me just start over and say it again. You will never be any faster than your give. So if you haven't decided to be generous, nothing else I say tonight is going to make you any faster. It's not going to make you any wealthier. Because it all begins with give. So if you don't get that part, the rest of the part you want you could actually leave. If you, if you need to. Because it's not going to be any... It's, I, I don't want you to leave won't be the first time you won't be the first one who walks out and if you yell you won't be the first one who did that either and if you yell at me that won't be the first one who did that either I'm not saying I want you to leave I'm simply saying that nothing else I teach you tonight will actually work for you if you don't if you're not generous so if you don't do that part that's your Herbie you need to go home and work through your Herbie (laughs) thank you Lord okay Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Are you there? This is Jesus talking. No, I'm, I mean in Matthew. <laughs> it's getting that weird. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted, them to, entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one according to his own ability. Okay, stop for a minute. They got talents according to their what? Ability. And did you notice one got how many? Five. One got two. And one got one. They got the talents according to their ability. So simply put, the guy who got five talents had more ability than the guy who had two. And the guy who had two had more ability than the guy who had one. Right? Okay. Um, and he went on a journey. Immediately, the one who had received five talents went out, traded them, and gave and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But to the one who received one talent, he went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled the accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought the five talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. Say this with me. See... I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You have been faithful with very few things. Now I put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also the one who had received two talents came to him and said, Master, you entrust me with two talents. And he said, uh, two talents to me. And said, See, I have gained two more talents. What did he say? See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who also had received the one talent came and said to the master, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You were reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Did you notice what he said? You reap where you do not sow and you gather where you scatter no seed. That's interesting. And I was afraid. And I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow, and I gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put the money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, did you get this part? For everyone, for to everyone who has, what? More shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But to the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Have you ever heard people say, the rich just keep getting richer, and the poor just get, keep getting poorer? Do you know that's the principle of the kingdom? <laughs> Okay. Are you saying God's a Republican? <laughs> oh, I'm just being funny. I have no political persuasions tonight. No, I'm simply saying that wealth attracts wealth and poverty attracts poverty. And I'm saying, and Jesus said here, the one who had five and who made five more and ended up with ten... Jesus took the one who had one and did nothing with it, and he gave it to the guy who did the best with it. How many of you figured out that if if you call around or you use a carpenter who's not busy, there's a reason why he's not busy? How many of you have ever used someone that's really busy and you got it done quicker than the guy who had nothing to do? Yeah, because people typically create a culture around them where they actually get things done. They... And Jesus is, rewards faithfulness. So I, I want to say like, yeah, I think I said it. Okay. <laughs> he said, I was afraid. I was afraid and I buried your talent. You know, oftentimes fear masquerades as Stewardship. It's unbelievable how many people are terrified and put another word to it and then can't figure out why they're messed up. Okay. The guy that that had five talents, he made five more, and Jesus put him... I'm sorry. The guy that made five talents and uh, had five talents and got five more, Jesus said, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Did you notice that? Many things. The guy that had two talents and made two more, Jesus said, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Okay. Somebody once said, you know, if you divided all the money in the world up equally, among everybody in the world, that would be 7.2 billion people. In five years, the rich people would be rich again, the poor people would be poor again, and the middle class would be middle class. Now, I know there would be some exceptions to that, and all of you sitting in here are like, I would be the exception. But there's been lots of studies done, and I'm sure that you've read some of them, where people go out and they win at least a million dollars, and when they win a million dollars in the lottery, and five years later they go investigate how those people are doing. And how many of you have read those articles? Yeah, and they're typically broker than they were before they won the million dollars. What's that tell you? That wealth has not little to do with money. Somebody once said, if you need money, don't ask for money. Ask why you need money. Now, I think that everybody, most everybody in the world, needs money at some point in their life. But if you perpetually need money, the problem's not money. The problem's the reason you need money. <laughs> okay, it's going to be a good night. Okay, now turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read the parable of the Minas, verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a noble man... Wait, let me back up. Why did he tell the parable? Okay, I'll read it again. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell them a parable parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Why did he tell them the parable? Because they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Was the was the kingdom of God going to appear immediately? No, it was going to come in process. Okay. So he said to them, A noble man went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Verse 15. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him, so that he might know what business they had done now let me just give you a little comparative remember the parable of the talents they were all they one was given one talent one was given two and one was given five according to his ability okay did you notice the parable of the minas everybody got one mina everybody got $500 are you with me okay so everybody has the same He returned after receiving the kingdom. Verse 15, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called so that he might know what business they had done. Verse 16, the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten more minas. Stop. Let's read it again. Let's say it together. Master, your mina has made ten more minas. (laughs) And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in, very, in a very little thing, you have authority over 10 cities. Did you notice the people that had the talents? They got 12 times the amount of money at least. The minimum they received was 30,000, 60,000, and 150,000. Right? And when they finished, they got power over stuff. These guys only got 500 bucks. The first one comes back and said, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said, "Good, well done, good and faithful slave. Because you've been faithful in a very little thing, a mina, you are to be in, have authority over cities. Okay, I'm going to go on, see if you get it. Verse 18, the second came saying, your mina master has made five minas. Say this, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him, also, you are to be over five cities. And another came saying, master, you're minor. And that's pretty much the same story. Let me just stop there and say this. Do you see any contrast? Well, first of all, do you understand that the guys that had the talents got a lot more money and at the end, they had a lot less authority because they only had authority over stuff. But the guys that started out with 500 bucks, they ended up with power over 11 cities and five cities. Are you with me? What I'm getting at is, do you see that there's a difference in the reward? I'd like to suggest to you that there's a, a significant reason why there's a difference in the reward, and it has everything to do with where you're going. Both got rewarded. Remember what the guys that had the talents all said, the two that did well? It says, Master, I have made you ten talents, five talents. You've given me these 5 talents and I've made I have made 5 more. And he goes, "That's good. I'll put you over stuff." These guys said, "Master, your mina has made 10 minas." And he said, "If you can do that, see one person worked for money. The other person had money work for him." And God goes, if you are wise enough to have money work for you, you can be over cities because you create wealth, and wealth is not riches. Wealth is an ecosystem. Are you with me? See, you can spend your life working and being faithful, and Proverbs has lots to say about, we'll read probably a few of them tonight. Proverbs has lots to say about being diligent, that a diligent man makes himself rich. And there's a whole bunch of proverbs about working hard and getting well, getting rich. But how me understand that if you can actually create an ecosystem where the money makes money, then it doesn't matter who you give money to because the money is going to make money that makes money. And when God sees that you know how to create culture that is prosperous, He goes, you need to be leading cities. Are you following me? I'm saying... This is good, it got rewarded by more stuff. You can have charge of stuff, but the only people, the only leaders I'm gonna put in charge of people, especially cities, are people who know how to create culture that's prosperous. Master, your mina has made minas. Master, I have made you more talents. Master, your mina has made minas. You need to be ruling cities. And I'd like to suggest to you that this is rich, this is wealth. See, the opposite of poor is rich, but the opposite of poverty is wealth. See, poor means I got no money, <laughs> and rich means I got money. Poverty means I have an ecosystem that actually sabotages my wealth. And the opposite of poverty is wealth. Did you get that? The opposite of, pov- of wealth is not poor. Poorness means you don't have any money. But poverty means you, can't, you don't know how to make money. You have an ecosystem in you that actually recreates more poor. <laughs> Rich is not money. Rich is, I'm sorry, wealth is not money. Wealth is a condition. Thank you, Chris, for that. No, it's all right. I brought my encouragement with me. Deuteronomy 8.18, would you turn there? This is Moses speaking to, I'm sorry, God speaking to Moses. You shall remember the Lord God for it is He who has given you the power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is today, to this day. Let me read it to you again. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you power to make wealth, (laughs) for that He may confirm His covenant, which He swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Now, Last week, I did a much better job than this. I spent probably 15 minutes on this part. So please get part one, because this really does have a part one, part two. But there's a lot of people that are like, you know, riches are not a sign, wealth is not a sign of God's blessing. Well, it's true, unless it's not. I'm saying there are about 100 verses that talk about God making someone rich. Abraham, we read them last week, we read probably fifteen of them last week. Abraham was rich, and Abraham said to a king who was trying to give him more money, the king of Sodom Sodom, You can't give me money, because if you, if I take your money, you'll say you made Abraham rich. And the connotation is it's God who's making me rich, not you. Isaac, it says that Isaac it says that God blessed God. I'm sorry, that Isaac that God blessed Isaac and that he made him rich, richer, and then very rich those three. God, bless Isaac. Now, how many understand wealth is not a sign that God's blessing you unless it is. Solomon, God, he's interacting interacting with Solomon in a dream and God says, what do you want? And Solomon says, I want wisdom to, to lead these people and God says, because you did not ask for riches and wealth and power and the head of your enemy, I'm gonna make you the richest king that has ever lived from this time and forevermore. How I many you know Solomon's riches are, were directly a sign of his relationship with God? Abraham's wealth was directly a sign of his relationship with God. Isaac's wealth was directly a sign of his relationship with God. And the story goes on and on and on. I have a yellow Corvette. I got it for my 40th anniversary. My wife bought it for me. Been, been, I, you know, I'm a car guy. You know, I've owned nine repair shops and auto parts stores. I, uh, I built six Corvette models as a kid. On our 40th anniversary, I said to my wife, what's the one thing I could do for you? I thought she was going to say a new horse. She said, I'd love to go to Disneyland. I'm like, oh, what a relief. I took her to Disneyland. We came back, and, I, and she said, what, what's the one thing I... I could do for you. I said, I'd love to have a yellow Corvette. Of course, I've been asking for it for 15 years. It's a big joke. I usually get a yellow Corvette model. These little, what do they call these? Hot Wheels? I got, how many of those do I have? Like, seven of them. Now my grandkids have picked it up and they buy me them. I got them all over the place. I'm like, no, I want a real one. And my license plate says, KVMXO me. Kathy Marie Valentin, XO loves me. She bought that for me. Now, how many understand that a yellow Corvette does not mean your wife loves you, unless it does? <laughs> I'm not saying that every yellow Corvette that drives down the road has anything to do with someone's love for somebody, but if you see me in mine, it does. <laughs> So I'm saying wealth has nothing to do with God unless it does. I've given you the power to make wealth, listen to this, that he, God, may confirm his covenant with you. In other words, to the Israelites, I understand this wasn't written to everybody, but to the Israelites he said, I'm going to make you so wealthy, it's going to be the sign that I have a covenant with you. When people see you rich, they're going to go, they got a good God. And God said, how many know jealousy is not always bad? God said, you know how I'm going to win the nations? I'm going to so bless you, everyone else is going to get jealous. And they're going to go, who's your God? <laughs> well, it happens to be our way. Oh, can we have them too? It's called jealousy evangelism. Have you ever read it? It's actually all through the Bible. God says, I'm going to so bless you that the nations are going to go, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, I'll get rid of my other gods and just serve your God because he seems to do it for you. So God said, I'm going to give you power to make wealth that it might confirm my covenant with you. You know, uh, I'm going to get off track a little bit here a lot of people are running around like, the sky is falling, the world's coming to an end. No, there's another sign of the times. So, oh my God, the beast is going to pop out of the sea any day now. It's going to put a mark on me, man. It's going to put a mark on me. I just know it. You know, isn't it funny that people that served God for thousands of years were all enamored by the blessings of God? I mean, God said to Abraham, Hey, come out here. See them stars? yeah count them one dos tres you know I could imagine he probably gets to like nine hundred and fifty nine thousand that's alright that's enough that's how many kids you're gonna have in the morning wakes him hey hey get up get up come out count the sand like each one yeah one dos cinco okay no you 're missing the point that 's how many kids you 're going to have what i 'm getting at is this: God made his people that loved him mindful of the blessing, not the curses i 'm saying they were motivated by how much God was going to bless them i 'm not saying they didn 't have problems they didn 't get corrected but i 'm saying i 'm saying that God made them aware that they were supposed to be motivated by the blessings. He who comes to God must believe he that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Come on! He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who seek him. I'm saying this is supposed to be in the core of who we are. We're like, like the signs of time, everything's gone wrong. Well, how about the good stuff? I mean, I thought the promises were yes and amen. I'm supposed to be motivated by the promises. Why do people take the promises and push them into a time zone? I can't get them. I, I, I think Christians, they're just like, they just watch the news and get their theology from the news. Oh my God, things are getting worse and worse. As we drive our 2.1 cars and sit in our air-conditioned houses and fly on planes that kings couldn't fly on just a hundred years ago and live in a, a world where people are getting, get, living longer and, and are healthier and we live in an air-conditioned room and we just watch screens and we all have, you know, like 25 pairs of shoes and, you know, 50 shirts and, and we're like, oh, the world... Have you ever seen a more blessed... Pessimistic people in your life. It's crazy. And then we believe this crap. We're like, yeah, things are getting worse. Where'd you get that? I oh, want people driving along. I remember when cars were cars. Yeah, I remember that too. I made a living and I got out when cars stopped being cars and started, started lasting forever. Because I was in the repair business. I could see the writing on the wall. You know, we used to need spark plugs every 12,000 miles. Now you do them every 100,000 miles. I mean, I, I realized, like, when cars started lasting forever, I'm like, this is getting really close to eternity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm like, like, my Corvette gets, gets like 32 miles per gallon. I'm like, I better get out of the gas business. Okay, Sorry. I mean if you think things are getting worse and worse you just don't know history. You think it's you think things are getting worse for the black man? In America? You think things are worse for a woman? In America? How about most of the world? Come on ladies help me. You couldn't vote till 1920. It took you 47 years to get a vote. Yeah, the only guys that think the world's getting worse are the white guys (laughs) (laughs) who wanna rule everybody everybody else, the world is so less oppressed and I understand there's still oppression, I'm not trying to pretend there isn't I'm just saying, like, at least have a happy day (laughs) so whatever here's a really cool thing I just found the word wealth, okay, but, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth. The word wealth right there? It means army, valiant, powerful, excellent, elite army, capacity, troop. Okay. This word wealth, it doesn't just mean money. It means he's creating an army of valiant warriors that get you wealth. Do you get that? When God said, I'm giving you the power, this is what it sounds like. I'm going to give you a bunch of money and everyone's going to know you're blessed. No, he's saying, I'm going to give you a valiant army whose job it is to get you wealth. And they're going to keep bringing you wealth and everyone's going to know I love you. I'm not just going to give you money. I'm going to give you an army that their job is to get you money. (laughs) That's a good word. I want to... You know what a simile is? A simile is a figure of speech that involves the comparison of two things so that you can see through... The difference, the description of the difference, what the what the actual description is. Let me just read it. It's a figure of speech involving the comparison of one thing with another thing of a different kind, used to make a description of more uh, more vivid. Are you with me? So proverbs, you know, proverbs are a simile. Proverbs go: the rich man does this, and the poor man does this, right? The lazy man does this, and the and the diligent man does that, right? The wise man does this and the foolish man does this, right? And it's all in the same verse. So Solomon uses a lot of simile to get you to understand oh, wisdom is that. And how do I know what wisdom is? Well, when I compare it to the full, now I understand more what wisdom is, right? So I want to give you a couple of, I want to give you eight similes with reference to poverty. What is the difference between poverty thinking and wealth thinking? Number one poverty lives for today, wealth leaves a legacy. Number two, poverty finds a problem in every opportunity, while wealth finds an opportunity in every problem. Number three, poverty feels entitled, while wealth feels empowered. Number four, poverty fears the future, while wealth makes history. Number five, poverty blames others for their condition, while wealth takes responsibility for things that aren't their fault. Let me stop just a second. Make a comment on that. How many of you understand that if you're going to lead people, then things that aren't your fault are still your responsibility? Any of you parents here? How many you know, things that your children do while they're in your home, they're not your fault, but how many you know they are your responsibility? Number six, poverty asks, what are you going to do for me? Wealth asks, who is worthy of my investment? Number seven, poverty hangs around with disgruntled people who validate their accusations. Wealthy people surround themselves with other powerful influencers. Number eight, poverty votes for candidates that will increase their entitlements. Wealth elects officials who will sacrifice today's comfort for tomorrow's children. That's a good word. Okay, I want to give you a simile, eight assemblies Between the rich and the wealthy. Remember I told you that rich is not wealthy? Number one, rich people get their identity from things they own. Their cars, their houses, their yachts, their money. Wealthy people's identity comes from who they are, not what they own. Number two, rich people either spend a lot of time trying to not lose their money, or they waste it on themselves. Wealthy people's money... It's just an extension of who they are, so they are confident in their well-being. Number three, rich people work for money. Wealthy people's money works for them. Number four, rich people think of their assets, while wealthy people dream of their legacy. Number five, rich people give to people. Rich people give to people. Wealthy people invest in people with an expectation of return on investment measured by a predetermined outcome. Examples are a changed life, a transformed neighborhood, a business profit. Number six, rich people think their money protects them. They have a sense of being above the law. Solomon put it like this, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high tower in his imagination. Wealthy people are inherently humble because they're thankful knowing that the source of their provision is the Lord. Number seven, rich people have a desire for things they can buy. Wealthy people have a vision for a legacy they are leaving. Number eight, most rich people's money has been given to them. They received an inheritance, won a lottery or a lawsuit, got lucky in the stock market, etc. Therefore, they don't know how to reproduce it, how to make more. This creates a lot of insecurity in their souls. Wealthy people have wisdom and power to create wealth. Therefore, they live with confidence and aren't afraid of the future. I love what Einstein said. He said, You can't solve the problems, you can't solve your problems at the same level of thinking it took to create them. I really would like to suggest that God actually wants you to be wealthy. If you don't leave with anything else tonight, I believe God wants every person in this room to be wealthy. I didn't say rich, I said wealthy. I just tried to explain to you the difference. Rich people have money, wealthy people have an ecosystem a healthy ecosystem that generates wealth now that wealth you may not that wealth that wealth may be measured in other ways besides money so when i said god wants everyone to be wealthy i don't mean that god wants everybody to have big bank accounts but if he does then would you receive it would you suffer for jesus <laughs> i mean if god wants to make you wealthy and it and it and the manifestation of that is money. Are you okay with that? Yes. <laughs> Chris is up front. He's giving me the hallelujah thing up here. Somebody once said, if you're successful, you'll have false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. How many you know, if you're successful, you'll have false friends and true enemies? You know, nothing is more disturbing to, a, to someone who's in poverty than somebody who is wealthy. Now, think about this. If you're poor, not in poverty, you're poor, that means you don't have money. And you meet someone who was once poor and now they're wealthy, how many know that's a testimony? It's like, if you have cancer and you meet someone who's healed, how many know you're not jealous of them? You're thankful for them because you're like, okay, if God would do it for them, he'll do it for me. So I'm saying, if you're poor and you see someone who's wealthy, especially someone who was once poor, and then became wealthy, how many know that if you're poor in spirit, you, you use that as a testimony. You're not bitter with them. You're not writing terrible things on their Facebook page. You're excited for them because you know that God's no respecter of persons, and if he did it for them, why wouldn't he do it for you? But if you have a poverty mindset, that means that you, you're stuck in this cycle and you create poverty. You're angry with anybody who's wealthy, You're angry with anyone who's wealthy because people who are in poverty think that if he had it, he must have got it from me. Because part of the problem with with being not poor, but being in poverty, is that you think there's only so much. So if he got some, that means he took it from someone else. And that's why poor people who are in poverty are always trying to get the government to give it back to them but it won't make a difference because when you're in poverty and you get one talent you just go buried anyway and God'll give it back to the person who made 10. And you'll just get matter and matter and matter. You know like the rich just keep getting richer. It won't matter what laws that you create because the rich get richer because that's the way the kingdom works. People who are faithful get more. And I'm not talking about just money now. People who are faithful get more. People who are friendly, they get more friends. And they have more friends, and the people who isn't friendly, they, even the friends they have will be taken away from them and given to the person who's friendly. <laughs> it's the way it works. Nobody wants to be my friend. Okay, well, well, change. Here's the problem in poverty thinking. It's not my fault. Here's 14 reasons why people don't like me, and it's none of them are my fault. That's poverty. Poor means I don't have a friend. Poverty means I sabotage my friendships and blame the government. People actually think President Obama is the reason I don't have a job. There's only 5.2% you know, percent of the population that's out of work. But until we get a different president, I won't have a job. That's just stupid. I'm sorry, government doesn't create jobs unless they give you a job and that just means the government's getting bigger. And guess who pays the government? You do. (laughs) I'm not making a political statement. I'm trying to say, you want to be wealthy so you stop thinking like that. Someone's going to fix me. Someone's going to help me. How about just you and God? He's big enough. Like, you've never been through tough times. You don't understand what it's like to be broke. No, no, no. I was raised in poverty. Not African poverty. And most of you haven't either. You know, I never lost, I never went without a meal. I just didn't eat what I wanted. Spam. (laughs) My mom told me spam was steak. Son, tonight you're going to get spam. Really? Yeah. You're gonna love it. I mean, we never starved. You know, it's you know, um, you understand, poor is relative, right? I mean, most of the poorest people in America go to Africa, and there wouldn't even be a comparison. So when I say I was poor, I'm talking about American poor. I never, my stomach, I never had an empty stomach. I never thought I wasn't going to eat. You just didn't have what you wanted, and. You went to school with kids who had nicer stuff, and I never even realized I was poor till I was 13, and I asked my mom for jeans, and she, Levi's, and she bought me jeans. Levi's aren't jeans. You know, anyway. Well so then I said, you know, at the time there, you know, well, anyway, it doesn't matter any matter. The point <laughs> It's a nerd, kid, man. I'm wearing blue jeans, not Levi's. Everybody was wearing Levi's. And they were, and they were faded. You had to fade them. My mother put, <laughs> she, yeah, she put bleach in the washer and threw my. She'll all make them look just like Levi's. I'm like, no, Mom, you can't do that. You, this is a, this is a counterfeit, like a false prophet. My mom put my jeans. And she put. She, you know, because they, they wouldn't fade, of course. So my mom put bleach in them, you know, and pulled them out. And they were like spots, white. I looked like was a leper. I'm, mom, I'm not going to wear that to school. Oh, everyone will think you're cool. No, Mom. The kids that are cool, they're not standing in the lunch line with their little, <laughs> little sticker every day for free food. And they got jeans and real Converse tennis shoes. And I got generic whatevers. Anyway. Yeah, that's American poor, you know. I had clothes. I never was naked. I mean at school. Okay. Most of you are getting pretty bored with my message. Why don't you stand up and let me just see if I can help you. Here's my point tonight. I have one. The Lord would love to release an ecosystem on you that wherever you go, prospers. Joseph, are you listening to me still? Joseph gets put in Potiphar's house as a slave. Are you with me? Okay, follow me. This is wealth. He gets put in Potiphar's house as a slave. Here's the commentary. And God was with him. And made him a successful man. Next verse. And everything in Potiphar's house prospered. Everything in Potiphar's house prospered. Now, how many know the wealth there? It didn't benefit Joseph. But it was so on him that if if Joseph worked for you, you were blessed. You know the story. He gets falsely accused. He ends up in prison, right? He's in the jail. And what happens? It says, and the Lord was with jo- Joseph. And get this. He, you get this? He's in jail. And God made him, and it says, and the Lord was with him and made him a successful man. And then the next verse. And the jailer put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners. And everything he did prospered. I'm saying, that's an ecosystem. How would you like to have wealth just follow you? Like, you know what? If you were in a place, if you were in jail, the jail's blessed, and people are like, "I want to go to that jail," <laughs> or, or something like. That. I don't know if they do that, but you were a slave, and the people who enslaved you are blessed. And what happens when he gets into when he gets into Pharaoh's house? The same thing. You know why? Because Joseph has the power to make wealth. He is an Israelite. He took the Deuteronomy 18 verse. He has the power to make wealth. And everywhere he goes, it creates an ecosystem that whoever's around him gets blessed by him. And they're like, and the same thing, right? Same thing was on Jacob, right? Jacob goes and works for his father, Leban. And it says, and everything Joseph, um, Jacob did blessed Leban. And Leban becomes rich. Why? It isn't affecting Le- uh, Joseph, I'm sorry. Jacob at the time, but he's so blessed that he has this ecosystem that just follows him everywhere he goes, and, 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 and that ecosystem creates wealth. Like, I'm not saying Jacob's creating it, I'm saying God's creating it. I'm saying when Joseph's in prison, how the heck is Joseph going to create wealth? I don't know, but God was doing it. God blessed the jailer, God blessed Potiphar, God blessed Pharaoh. Why? Because they had Joseph in their house. It's like having the Ark of the Covenant in your driveway and everything just, you know, your kids, like you have twins and your kids take out the garbage without being asked. Just miracles in your home (laughs) happen. And people are like, how'd you get your son to take the garbage out and bring the can back? Oh my God, oh my God, the Ark is over there. And I'm saying it creates an ecosystem of wealth. Are you with me? And I'm saying, you can have that because God wants you to have it. Come on. You can have it because God wants you to have it. It was the pro- promise to Abraham, and you are his sons and daughters. You can have it. Why don't I have it then? Because you typically sabotaged it. And it starts with Herbie. <laughs> you don't take care of Herbie. Herbie don't take care of you. All right, I'm done preaching. That last five minutes felt the best. (laughs) I gave you all that information just so I could preach to you. Okay. If you want to be wealthy, I explained to you what wealthy was. Joseph was wealthy, and in three quarters of his life, he had no money. But he was wealthy, right? He finally ends up in the palace, and then his wealth turns to money. So I'm saying, who wants to be wealthy? Put your hand on your heart. Because I'm serious, now I'm acting as a prophet. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you receive the prophet's reward. So I'm literally, those that are watching by television, by Bethel TV, just put your hand on your heart too. And I'm serious now, I'm not joking. I, I believe the Lord commissioned a people for wealth. I believe He's going to put them in political offices, and in nursing stations, and in hospitals, and in laboratories, in science, and... and, and And, you you know, I think it's funny that the school thinks God can't come because God can't keep God out. He brings his own door. He is the door. He brings his own door. You can't come in the school system. Yeah, whatever. And I think God's going to bring anoint kids. I think he's going to anoint kids and they're going to be wealth bringers in the school system. And they're like, when that kid was in first grade, the first grade prospered. And when you moved to second grade, second grade prospered. I I, I mean, it's going to be that sort of thing. It's going to be so, it's going to be a sign of God's covenant on you. And again, it may not be money, but it's going to be wealth. And I just right now, I prophesy this by the authority given to me by Jesus Christ, that you would, every one of you, be wealthy right now in Jesus' name. That you'd be wealthy in God. That the poverty mindset... No, it isn't just the mindset. The poverty spirit would be broken off you. In Jesus' name. And some of you would go to Africa, to the darkest places, to the places where there's poverty, and just the wealth culture that's in you would break the poverty culture because wealth is stronger than poverty. Because God is in wealth, and He's not in poverty. And I just release that over you and your family, and I break off generations of poverty, even people, I grew up on welfare, so I understand, I'm not cursing anyone. But it may, some of you, I, I, I was a youth pastor with unsaved kids that were on probation, and some of them have five generations. They've, their mother or father has never had a job in five generations. Can you imagine that? Five generations. I had kids in my youth group that their family has never worked in five generations. Their father never worked. Their grandfather, their great-grandfather, as far back as they can remember, they've never had a job. How many you know that's a poverty spirit? That isn't President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton. That is a spirit. And Lord, we break that generational curse off of people that have generations of poverty. And Lord, we break that spirit right now and we release this prosperous spirit. That the Lord would prosper you, that it would confirm His covenant, that He has a covenant with you. And people would go, why are you so happy? Why are you so optimistic? Why are your kids, why are your kids behaving? Why do they take the garbage can out and they bring it back? I mean, oh my God, oh my God. Lord, I just released those kind of miracles and more over these people. And you say, I receive that for myself. I receive it for my children. I receive it for my children's children. That my legacy would be a legacy of prosperity. And I, and I prophesy to my legacy, to my legacy. That, you that you shall be wealthy, that you shall be, be the head and not the tail. And, the tail. and poverty, and poverty will, not will not enter my legacy to the 100th generation because this night, because this night as, for house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, serve the Lord. And, our and our life will confirm the covenant we have with God. It's a covenant of blessing. It's a covenant of abundant life. It's a covenant of great joy. Amen.